PIs you won't hate. It's me, Mike, with Phil here. Phil, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. I've been out in a field planting trees in the rain all day, so just, you know, normal. Pretty standard stuff. Yeah, where in the world are you uh, catching up with me from today? Southwest of England again, which is my usual corner of the world these days. Yeah, it's an odd feeling that you have a usual place uh, to me. I, I don't think I'll ever quite get used to that because it sort of feels like you're you're hopping about and jumping from forest to forest, like uh, an idea I can't quite get a grasp on. It has been all over the place. I mean, it's been a bit weird. I'm in the Peak District, which is up near Manchester one day, and then like North Wales around the corner the, the next, looking at a bit of land and then rushing off to, to do a planting project in London. And then I've been putting some real miles on my like electric rental thing, but uh, hopefully I can ditch the car soon and get back to being a, the wandering woodsman on, on two wheels. Cause, uh, I'm recovered from my, from my injury. Surgery recovery has gone nicely. I'm, I'm back and I can like lift stuff without crying and I'm, you know, <laughs> back to, back to health. So, uh, yeah, there'll be plenty of moving around, but it will be, it'll be bike powered instead. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. I'm glad to hear your recovery has gone well. Did, did you end up having two surgeries? No, just the one in the end, the, um, there were some like other side effects. Basically I had like a surgery and then I was still in loads of pain and I was like, what the hell's going on? And basically it's just cause I had gone from being incredibly active to sitting on the couch for four months. Um, there were like loads of other problems going on, like crazy stomach acid, just like causing pain yeah. everywhere. So it seemed like there was something much bigger going on, but it was like, oh no, you've just been really lazy for a while and your body's upset about it. <laughs> Got so it. Uh, yeah, it's all, it's all sorted out now. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad you're you're back in one piece. And I guess just probably as the weather starts to get a little nicer there, uh, you can get back on two wheels and kind of start to do all the things uh, that you'd like to do. Yeah, we're currently being battered by Storm Ursula, which is a ridiculous name for quite a vicious storm. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the weather should start getting nicer in a couple of days. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I want to get an update from you on uh, your uh, work with Protect Earth. I want to hear a little bit about what's been going on with APIs You Won't Hate and some of the work we've put out there. But first, before we do that, let's hear a little bit from our sponsors. This episode of APIs You Won't Hate is brought to you by Treble. Treble is an API management platform that helps developers and companies understand their APIs better and in the process saves a lot of time and money. What started out as a solution for their own problems has grown into a platform that's processing more than 9 million API requests a month. Treble features real-time API monitoring, automatically generated documentation, logging and error tracking, API analytics, and one-click API testing. To learn more about Treble, go to treble.com slash APIs you love. That's treble, T-R-E-B-L-L-E dot com slash APIs you love. Thank you so much to Treble for sponsoring APIs you won't hate. This episode of APIs You Won't Hate is brought to you by Lob. Lob is a group of passionate people working towards their vision of increasing connectivity between the offline and online worlds. They help developers send postcards, letters, and checks as easily as email through RESTful APIs. Lob is looking for engineers at all levels interested in joining a successful growth stage startup. They offer collaborative culture, supporting teamwork and mentorship. Their founders have a strong vision of building a product-led organization, and it's an opportunity to have a big impact on Lob's business and engineering culture. Lob is built using open API specifications for contract testing, generating documentation, and soon SDKs. Their API is written in a mix of JavaScript, Golang, and Elixir, and their customer-facing dashboards are built with Vue.js. If you're interested in joining Lob, check them out online at lob.com careers. Thank you so much to Lob for sponsoring APIs you won't hate. And we're back. So Phil, tell me, you've been outside, you've been doing things. Uh, what's, what's the latest with the charity? 
Yeah, I've barely been looking at my laptop, which is ridiculous because there's a lot more planning work to be done. But it is the height of planting season. I'm pretty much planting trees every day. Sometimes it's a volunteer project where there's 60 of us trying to get through 5,000 trees in three days. And sometimes there's eight of us and, and we've got, I've got some like tough paid planters. You know, we, we had a few projects where there was maybe eight of us doing 1,500 trees a day. So the, the number of trees we can get done in a day really varies project to project. But yeah, there's loads of projects going on. It, it, it's pretty much every day, like back to back. Um, Thursday, I'll be in the Cotswolds. Friday, I'll be in London. All weekend, I'll be up in Manchester. It's like, as soon as it gets dark planting, I jump in the car and ah, just scream off to the next project. But yeah, the, the, the charity's in a funny place because we've, we've basically paid for, paid for loads and loads and loads of trees and been planting loads and loads of trees. And now I've got to do the job of documenting all the trees so that they start showing up on people's ecology profiles and everywhere else where we get our money from. And we've had a few new funding partners on board. So I've had to do some work on our API um, and the iPhone app to, because we use an iPhone app to take photographs of all the trees that gets them up in our API. And then funding partners can pull those, those photographs of trees in for whatever reason. And yeah, that's a Laravel PHP app that, that Matt originally put together. And um, it's using a whole bunch of open API as well. So it feels pretty cool to have like quit working in tech and quit working on APIs, but still be doing loads of API work and open API work and then writing about it for APIs you won't hate. So I haven't gone too far. <laughs> yeah, it's rare to get to actually be able to uh, meaningfully use the stuff you you want to build and, and uh, be your own user is kind of an interesting place to be in. So give me a sense of scale here. I, I know it's been a long winter for you. Do you have some estimate for how many trees you've planted with your volunteers in the past few months? We planted 3,000 trees roughly, I think, in the last winter. And then this winter we've done uh, we've done about 15,000 under projects that we kind of directly control. But I know that there's another, double that, there's another like 17,000 floating around that we've kind of paid for, but I haven't got out to the projects to see them yet. So we're looking at about, whatever, 35,000 trees this season, and there are still more to come. We've probably got another, oh God, like another 10,000 left to do before the middle of March. It's, it's all a bit bonkers. Um, <laughs> so we've really, we've really, you know, grown that up and we're starting to get our hands on huge chunks of land as well. So we've, um, we've just had, uh, it's only seven more sleeps until we get our hands on the Cornish bit of land, the ancient replanted woodland. Heck yeah. And that has been an emotional roller coaster since October because there's been so many times where it seemed like we might not get it. There was a few issues around like VAT and and like negotiations with the philanthropic donor. And there's been a lot of different things going on. But like, I think, yeah, contracts are being exchanged in, in seven seven days. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and, and we've started working with people who were basically... The original plan was that we kind of raise a bunch of money from donors and then buy land directly. And, and, and we're still doing that. But we've also got this really interesting person who has just got millions of pounds apparently burning a hole in his pocket. Um, and he wants to kind of buy land and hold on to it. And then he needs someone to reforest it. So it's kind of more like a partnership um, where we'll lease the land for, I don't know, a pound a year or something. And we'll, we'll, we'll manage the land back to, back to being a forest. And so we've just found 27 acres for him and the offer was accepted. And that's only, that's only using like 1% of the money. Wow. So <laughs> there's going to be a lot of land for us to plan, which is why it's all about scaling things up, making things more efficient, making the project planning more efficient. I was talking about that last time. 
and, and making sure that the, the API is solid and does everything that our funding partners need so they can pull out all the data and, and, and run their business off of it and not have any bugs and mistakes because that whenever I have to try and like figure out what's going, going wrong with the API or, or awkward mismatches, it's like I'm in a field and I'm trying to send you samples of code and curl requests on my phone. This is not going well. Surreal. <laughs> so I have to make sure that thing is like slick and reliable and, and not taking me away from the actual work at hand. You know? Yeah, surreal. That's incredible. It sounds like you, you have been figuring out how to scale beyond just the fill, which is uh, one of the core problems I'm sure that you have there. <laughs> it's sort of a, yeah. unbelievable for me to imagine that there's, I don't know, sounds like 15, 20, 30,000 trees being planted this year and each one of them will also have a glamour shot pretty wild man that's yeah. that's very cool yeah luckily we have a lot of different types of projects where some of them we handle the entire thing and sometimes the project has already been planned by a big group like say the woodland trust and they're just looking for someone to do the actual planting and so with those sort of projects luckily we can just shove them in and take like a few establishing shots but we don't have to take a photograph of every one but yeah there, there are some of those projects where like we're planting four thousand trees near bath uh soon my neck of the woods and yep, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go out and photograph four thousand trees and put that one's a bird cherry, that one's a rowan, that one's a. <laughs> ah. You're about <laughs> to get have... like three pound for every one. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. You you are also about to have the least interesting Instagram feed I've ever seen, but you know I'm into it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I should hook it up so every single one just goes straight out. And people are like, we don't care about this at all. They all look <laughs> the same. They're all two years old. It's not interesting. That's right. That's right. Yeah, really cool, man. So the, the work that you've been doing to support that kind of the infrastructure behind this stuff has resulted in some learnings and some articles that we've published recently on the site for APIs you won't hate. You want to tell, a little, tell us a little bit about that? So Matt did a great job of putting the API together in a bit of a rush. We were kind of given, we were given an API hosted by like another planting partner of one of our funding partners. There's a company called um, Future Forest Company. They do amazing things. They, they do things slightly differently, but they're a good group of people. And we basically had to kind of copy their API so that they could be integrated into one of our funding partners really easily. So we didn't really bother designing the API as such. We just kind of went, make it look like that. And that seemed like a reasonable reason to not design it. It's one of those things like the mechanic's car is always broken or like the, the shoemaker's son never has shoes or whatever. There's a million of those phrases around. Like I know chefs that just microwave all of their dinners when they get home from work. It's always that thing of like, you, you think you're an expert in it. So you just kind of don't bother. And I thought, oh, I, I, I know all about API design first. I know enough to, to know when I should use it and when I shouldn't. And I totally messed up there. Not having open API from the start just meant that we didn't have any API documentation when we had a second funding partner. They wanted to get on board. And I'm like, oh, let me send you some awkward curl examples. And if you have questions, just figure it out, I guess. And that led to a bunch of integration issues. And we had no way to do contract testing. There were just no tests at all. So we made a bunch of changes to improve performance because it was built to handle like hundreds of trees. And then we've got tens of thousands of trees. So yeah, things kind of blew up in our face in a bunch of different ways from just having no docs, having no contract testing and not being able to do design first for new functionality. So if we want to add a new endpoint, we've kind of got to have this like weird separate, you know, we started a new open API from scratch and it just had the one endpoint in it with nothing else. So it was kind of useless. You couldn't use it for mocking or anything else. So um, I really wish I stuck to my own advice. I've been talking about how important API design first is for months and then I just don't do it. 
and it's immediately justified everything I've been saying for years. Yeah, I think we can chalk it up to a good reminder that uh, it's helpful to put yourself in the right shoes from time to time to to reinvigorate that context. You know, I, I tend to live more on the visual design side of things in in sort of past lives, and that's something that a lot of designers will say, like, you really need to go and and do sketches and put together wireframes and all these other things before you start building. And every single designer I know with a website went and splash some CSS onto uh, the, their code <laughs> editor and, and started making a mess that way first. So uh, I'm also definitely yeah. guilty of that. It's tempting to go in and do it the wrong way first. Um, and the quote that I always bandy about from a friend and a, a mentor is from, I think it's a Frank Lloyd Wright quote that's essentially like, uh, as an architect, your most valuable tools are the pencil at the drawing board and a sledgehammer on the construction site. And it's sort of like, guess which <laughs> yeah. one of those is cheaper? You know, it's definitely usually a better idea to spend some time with a piece of paper or, you know, your design system writing things down uh, ahead of time, or you can go and build it. And then when your your project goes from 100 trees to 1,000 trees to 10,000, you're going to be sledgehammering your app into shape and uh, starting from scratch and wasting a bunch of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were there was there were so many things that, like, you know, not at all Matt's fault. Uh, it, it really really hard to spot, but like, there were little things where the API we were copying was a numeric string, and uh, instead of a integer or whatever, and PHP had opinions and just did it one way or the other. And they're they're really small, hard to spot things, but that can cause you know a bunch of errors on the other side. So yeah, I think I'm I'm just never. I'm just never making that mistake again. I'm always going to, if I ever need someone to make an API for me, I'm always going to say, right, here's the open API spec. When you build it, implement contract testing with the spec and like make sure it passes. Because if it doesn't pass this open API, like it, it doesn't work the way I want it to. So you're not getting paid until you fix it. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> like make that pass and then the contract is done. The job is done. I will say I've definitely been on the other side of fill requests for software in the past. And usually it starts with a cheeky like, <laughs> hey, I've got a quick idea for something that's going to be really easy to go and build out. And and really like you're just polishing the tip of the iceberg and introducing it to me in a way that sounds, you know, like it'll be a quick coffee break <laughs> project. Uh, and, and they they get big pretty fast. So we've all been victim to this. Yeah. I think, you know, Matt and I are, are no strangers <laughs> to these sizes of problems. And sometimes you just do what you can with the time you've got for sure. Yeah. The, um, oh, it's, I, I need to like change how I do business. You're completely right. Like how I do everything is messed up. Cause it's always, it's always like the quickest, laziest, crappiest version of everything. Like I'm usually zipping about doing a million things. And then like an idea pops into my head and it's maybe it's like three pints in, but I'm just like, Oh yeah, we totally need to do this thing. Hey Mike, can you do this thing? And I just fire over a DM and you're like, I guess. And then you do what seems sensible. And it wasn't exactly what I imagined based on 10 words. And then I'm like, how, you messed it up. <laughs> Need to spend, but, that, but again, that's like the benefit of the kind of the open API thing, or just generally writing down a bloody project brief. Yeah. You know, both, if if it's an API, like the more time you can spend planning the thing, the less time you spend undoing the thing. Because if I just say ten words at you and you take a swing at it, it's not going to be exactly what I meant, is it? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A thoughtful proposal is is the hard part of the job on some level when you're doing planning and sort of the leadership side of things. And by the way, I should say that wasn't meant to be a personal critique or attack or anything like that. <laughs> We've all done it. I do it myself. Yeah, I'm well I'm well aware. It's just it was kind of why I had to quit the last job, right? It was like I'm doing a full-time job and a charity and trying to like 
for a while, like get Dutch residency and start this software consulting business. And, 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 and then like people were like, Hey, come and do this uh, PHP meetup. And then there's a podcast and then, ah, everyone, off of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, thankfully, hopefully as I get more time, I can, I can put more effort into doing things properly, I think, or I'll just keep taking on more tree planting projects and keep rushing around doing them all badly. We'll see. Yeah. Well, Hey, part of the reason we have the the site and the podcast is to scale your wisdom and, and the experiences that we all have. And the thing I haven't really mm. said in public is that part of the reason we're also recording your voice over and over is that just so that we can take all the words you've written and throw them through machine learning and deep fake fill wisdom from here forward. So you can go play in the trees and we'll just nice. uh, set up uh, a fill bot <laughs> to yell at people on the internet when we need it. Sounds good. <laughs> well, speaking of getting machines to uh, do our bidding, one of the things, I, one of the two articles we put up recently was about using um, Akita, a really helpful tool. Uh, it's, it's the tool I use to get me out of the hole where like, okay, we have API, we need open API so that we can do a bunch of useful things, docs, mocks, contract testing. But I am not going to sit down there and go to every endpoint and go, oh, there's a property called, you know, foo, and it looks like a string. And, and oh, enter, you know, format equals date and just click a thousand buttons or type a thousand lines of YAML. That just sounds like death. And no one got time for that. So, uh, yeah, we did an article called Creating Open API from HTTP Traffic. And uh, it will like show you how it all works, but super handy. I knew there were tools out there that did it. And I'd kind of like, played with them a little bit a year ago and they were all still a little bit, you know, kind of, kind of getting there, but they're really good now. And there's another one called optic, which people recommend. I played around with some betas that were a little tricky, but uh, I've heard that's made a lot of progress too. So Akita or optic can help you out, but it's amazing to just say, Hey, look, my API is over there. Poke a few endpoints with your HTTP client of choice, curl, postman, whatever, insomnia. And then it just goes, right, you've got these endpoints, these properties, these MIME types, there's your open API. Yeah. And you're done. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It's definitely hacker friendly. And I mean, hacker and maybe the friend, well, the, the nicer sense of the word, not like I'm going to go steal your bank account <laughs> necessarily. But like, if you want to figure yeah, out how yeah. something is built or get some introspection into the way that someone else has designed an API that you use, like it can be a useful exercise to go in and, and dive in and use that kind of thing. Even if you're not going and re-engineering an API or, or putting design docs and testing together around something that you're already using, like kind of interesting to see the way that things are organized uh, from you know soup to nuts. It's it's one of those things that's yeah. really easy to do with some of the other things we work with. But like, yeah, these these tools are really um, coming into shape lately and, and definitely hitting a stage where it's like, oh, you can go and do some really meaningful, interesting hackery with this stuff and put together a useful prototype uh, based on an API that you know exists. Yeah, for sure. And I just, I can think about how it would have helped me in a lot of different projects in the past. Like when I was a um, giant co-working company that I need to stop naming when I'm complaining about them, I was constantly trying to get people to write open API. You know, we had a few people that were like, yeah, I'm going to make open API. I want docs and mocks and SDK generations and all that good stuff. And uh, I bribed people with pizza that helped, but <laughs> it was still quite a lot of reach out effort. And then it was like trying to get people to slide that work into their sprints when they have completely unmanageable deadlines already and, and constant rewrites because they never wrote any docs in the first place. So they don't know how it works. So they're too busy doing the rewrite to write the docs, which means they'll probably have to do another rewrite in the future. Ah! So I was trying to get people out of that cycle and I could just imagine like, dropping Akita or something similar optic, some sort of traffic sniffing proxy. I could just imagine dropping that into the end-to-end -end test suite where we've got, 
you know, multiple APIs all talking to each other. And then all of that traffic is being recorded and, and you can then convert that into open API. And awesomely for the comp- for the APIs and teams that did have open API, we were dropping that into the end-to-end test suite with a validation proxy. So if you suddenly made a change that broke your open API, it would say error, error. So you could kind of use the end-to-end test suite to create the open API if you don't have it. And then once you do have it, you can use it for validation testing. And, and you wouldn't have to say, please, 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 can you sit down and type out every single property and every single thing? Because again, humans will get that wrong. So yeah, it's a really useful tool and I'm glad that I got to play with it because I think a lot more people can use that to catch up because so so many people I know, like I do, I've done the poll a few times. It's like, are you code first, design first, uh, switching from code first to design first or like awkward combination? And most people are <laughs> awkward combination um, or switching. So yeah, using those tools, you can kind of play catch up, get your open API and move on from there, design first, all the things, you know? Yeah, I think the reality is there's very few companies that any of us get to work with on any level that are like starting from scratch and, and getting to play with things from the ideal scenario. And especially if you've got something that's, I don't know, 10, 15 years old, like you're working your way back towards compliance uh, is, a, is a mega chore. And some of those tasks that are sitting down and staring at YAML or, you know, HTTP responses sound torturous for experienced people and are probably a little too important to give to someone who's like in an internship or data entry role or whatever for a variety of reasons. And and putting tooling in the middle, I guess, is sort of the obvious engineer's response there is to figure out some way to automate it in a way that's reliable. I've definitely seen some engineers kind of saying, well, we don't need to ever make an open API because we can always just produce them automatically. And that's taking the point too far a little bit. Like I, I think some Optic definitely seems to kind of be portraying that as like, you don't need to spend time designing it because you could just, you know, make it automatically. And I, I don't know if that's still their messaging or or maybe I, it never was, but I, I worry about that sort of concept because what I did with Akita was use it to get a starting point that's pretty accurate and then tweak it from there. And there were things missing and there was like the human touch was missing. It was just what you can sniff and contrive. And there were, I think there were a few examples in there, but I wanted to put some more targeted examples and I had to remove a few sensitive UUIDs because, you know, if, with with certain UUIDs, the way it's currently built, if you have the UUID of a funding partner, you can just see all of their orders and save all of their trees and not have to pay for them. <laughs> so I don't want to put their ID in the docs. And so I think anything that you get from one of these tools that kind of looks at what's going on and, and takes the best educated guess it can, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be a publishable document that you would be proud to, to make, you know, your API reference documentation of choice for end users. Uh, it's just like a useful artifact that's getting pretty close. It's like a, a quick leg up more than anything else, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've seen some engineers go, well, great. I don't have to do the the time consuming thing because I'll just do the auto- automated bad thing. And that just seems lazy. Yeah. <laughs> e- easy to maybe um, interpret in bad faith, I suppose, or like in, in a way that makes life easier, but not necessarily in the long run beneficial. Certainly. I wanted to mention one of the things I've been thinking about lately. So I, I think you, well, I'd imagine you're probably much more disconnected from the internet and Twitter and things than I am these days as a result of you mostly literally getting your hands dirty. But uh, you and I tend to run in slightly different like developer circles online. And one of the things I've been noticing a lot lately is, is a lot of sort of like, call it indie web 
sort of developers and, and people building their own products and whatnot who are building on top of frameworks like, she's, uh, I don't know, Jekyll and um, Vue and uh, Remix is one of the newer ones and, and Next.js and all these other things that have really interesting integrations for sort of natively supporting automatically generated uh, serverless functions within a sort of web application context. So you could basically use a command line app to generate the framework for a web app. And then by creating a file in a specific place, it gets deployed to uh, an Amazon serverless app or, you know, whatever other Ooh, hosting provider. Voodoo magic. I yeah, love it. Pretty cool. Yeah. And it's all done. Like it hooks into CI really nicely and does lots of good things with that. In addition to giving sort of the, the, in most cases, JavaScript oriented hooks into the API lifecycle or the HTTP verbs and things like that, that you would want for an API. There is uh, a lot of cool stuff you can do with that, and you can kind of imagine that being the middle layer for a lot of things. In fact, actually, the, the, um, our new APIs You Won't Hate site uses some of this stuff for like our contact form, where we sort of use that as the oh, middle yeah. layer to fire things off to places to automate our lives on the other end when we get a contact. But what's interesting to me there is that there's almost no discussion around how to keep track of those things and how to make sure that you are you know, not using uh, your a delete verb for a post and those kinds of things. And in those communities in particular, there is precious little education to begin with on, you know, why you would make these kinds of choices and, and why it's important to consider like the shape of things coming into your API or mm. uh, where they're coming from and validating and doing things like um, recaptchas and uh, honeypots and all those sorts of things. I, I, I bring all this up mostly to say that, like, I think that's an interesting uh, avenue for for maybe me to head down over the coming months in terms of considering types of things that we can help those sorts of developers with, because I think it's largely unknown to this to to lots of folks in this audience. One, the structure of of these sorts of APIs, even if it's a very basic CRUD thing for one use case, like a lot of it seems to be just like smash this code into place and it'll work. Trust me, you know, like I know because <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. pixels. Shove it in. Yeah. And, yeah, and and the other side of it is too, like the the debug tooling to be able to go and build these things, like using Postman, Insomnia, all those things to go and actually fire off the HTTP requests to test just the serverless function. I never mm -hmm. see those talked about when people are building these serverless things on these frameworks. So I, I think there's very likely a um, a hole in documentation, a hole in content produced there, a hole in just discussion around like, here's what's actually going on behind the scenes here. Here's how you can think about it. And here's how you can build and debug it as a developer building these things out. Whether you're creating a contact form or completing a purchase or I don't know, you name it, creating an account for your you know visitors to your app or whatever the case may be. It's an interesting thing where we have uh, full stacked our way into what could be a potentially like security averse kind of mindset. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm not. I won't say I'm preoccupied about it, but I'm definitely fascinated by the way all that stuff is developing. Yeah, that that sounds really interesting. I I keep seeing fantastic things coming along, and and generally, I'm only introduced to new web, well, front end kind of frameworks when you switch the website to them <laughs> and you're like this cool new tool came out it does this this and this and i'm like all right and you know you you like put, uh moved us from wherever it was uh yeah gatsby before or something and next now yeah yeah there oh, was and... there was uh, there was middleman for a while yeah. and then gatsby and then um we were on oh i don't even know but we switched to netlify and then i was like oh damn this is really good 
and then Vercel, you're like, that's even better. It makes Netlify look like rubbish. Like all these kind of new um, changes come along and, and make things faster and easier and, and, and better. And so I have been really impressed with a lot of that front end world. But like the specific troubles you're describing, it just kind of makes me laugh. I, I feel like we went from a period where, you know, server side pages were, were very static. It's like, uh, I'm going to figure out what HTML to spit out. And then you'll do a form and I'll think about it and spit out some HTML. And that was very static. And that's like kind of web one, right? Or maybe when you got to forms, it was like kind of getting into web two. And we're not going to talk about three today. That can get in the bin. <laughs> there was this kind of period in, in kind of web two where it was like more rich and interactive. And, and we started to do a lot more Ajax functions. So you had a site that felt generally quite static being loaded by the server every time. And then you had these little random Ajax functions, these little random endpoints that would be just called whatever. And maybe you had like an Ajax controller and grouped them under that. Like, so like slash Ajax slash whatever random logic you wanted. And they were all just like floaty, totally disparate. No one was really meant to use them, although they totally could. And it was just kind of a, 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 a kind of a floating function useful for the front end. Um, and then we went through this period of like glorifying the API for you know, many good reasons, but all of a sudden it became about like, I'm making an API for my website and, and this API will be called like API dot whatever. And, and it should all be consistent and lovely and, and follow all these rules. I don't know what rules, what, what, what can we do to make it good? Restish. Sure. Those are the rules that we will follow. And, and everyone kind of focused on that. And, and the idea of these floaty disparate Ajaxy functions just kind of fell away. Um, but it sounds like we're moving back towards that very quickly without taking any of the lessons learned from either of those two iterations, because there are reasons why you do things like use the correct um, HTTP method, right? I gave a talk ages ago, like the original API pain points talk I used to do back in the day. It sounds like a lot of that stuff might be good content for them because there's things like, um, you know, uh, some company, I think it was Rackspace, they had an API that you would delete action was on a get method. And so Google found the XML, oh, no. um, the crawler, the, the XML yeah. uh, collection and started crawling all those endpoints and just deleting people's servers, just bang, 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 just deleting them. Oh, that's and it, like Google's just sitting there going, right. It's like Google's sitting there going, I wonder what's on this link. Oh, nothing. That's weird. I wonder what's <laughs> on this link. Oh, nothing. That's weird. Right. So these things matter. The conventions matter. You don't know why they matter. So you think they don't matter, but they bloody well do. And so if we're kind of getting a bunch of people who are generally not that used to all of the horror stories that I've been trying to tell for years and other people have been going on about. And they just think, oh, it's just some ivory tower nonsense and preferences and opinions and whatever. They're going to build a bunch of shit and repeat all the same mistakes. Yeah, everything <laughs> old is indeed new again in this case. Uh, and it's funny because it's a lot of these things are pitched as like, this is just a really fast way. Like It's fast and you'll get it done and it's deployed on the edge of the network, so it's performant. And it's like, yeah, yeah, cool. Like that—that's great and all. But if I'm giving you the uh, the nuclear football uh, faster and on the edge of the network, it's not a good thing for me. You know, I I, I need uh, yeah. some degree of certainty that the things that are being built here are done responsibly or you know in ways that that won't open up holes in the functionality of the software. And I think there's very likely to be quite a few exploits to do with these things as people like go and copy paste. Uh, unwittingly some code from a very popular tutorial that doesn't happen to consider these things or like is just reusable in all kinds of places. All things we've seen before yeah. and definitely like not not meaning to point to anyone's anything in particular and say this is bad, but it's more the the rough concept <laughs> right, right. of the thing that uh, that's that's starting to worry me. 
Man, it, it does just seem like a walk down memory lane a lot, like copying and pasting random insecure PHP code you found on a tutorial was how I started. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's 20, the only way I've ever done it. 20 plus PHP. years ago. That's the first thing I was doing. Yeah. And it's not great. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right, and like you copy and paste a class off of a off of a blog, and you'd have to change all of the um, like all of the quotation marks had accidentally been converted to like you know uh, backticks or smart quotes or curly curly quotes. Sure. So you're there find and replacing, and now you type like composer install, and you get that package install <laughs> with a checksum to make sure it's not been completely screwed. But yeah, like let's not let's not do all that again. Let's not go backwards. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll have <laughs> to sit down and actually put some things into writing here, and we can we can educate the world a bit. The good news is my old content is now going to stay relevant for longer. So thank you for that. For sure. Yeah, right. All, all we've got to do is slap a new title on your old talk and you're back in business, man. That's great. Maybe not even a new <laughs> title. Build serverless functions you won't hate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just exactly the same thing. Yeah. AWS you won't hate has a weird ring to it, but I'm, I'm kind of into that too, you know. All right, man. Well, look, it's been nice catching up. We are, I should say, um, getting into the cadence of doing this thing on a roughly monthly schedule, although as the stars align for the three of us to get on and chat, it's monthly-ish. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll um, gosh, I guess I'll catch up with you in a few weeks and we'll, we'll see where you're, uh, where you're at at that point. Yeah, in a few weeks, I should be nearly done with planting season. Thank God. So I will be um, coming at you live from a beach or something. I don't know. I need a break. There we go. That sounds <laughs> lovely. Well, take care of yourself and yeah, we'll catch up soon, man. You as well, Mike. Good to see you.